All right, so we are going to talk about something that I don't know really applies to us because we don't think this way, but I think it is good for us to talk about it because we live in a very Catholic city, and some of you have come from a Catholic background, and so um, we've been walking through this series called Doctrine, and the doctrine that we're going to look at today is the age of accountability and baptism. Um, the age of accountability and baptism. And um, the other church, the reason uh, we walked through it with, I walked through it with them was because they baptize babies. And they do it as a dedication, but then adults are never baptized afterwards. So they do see it as kind of a baptism, even though they won't talk about it, really. Um, and so what we need to understand is this. Whoever is the leader of the household is the leader spiritually. I think we've talked about this for a couple of weeks now. Um, and y'all feel free to jump in and chime in um, your thoughts on this. We're going to walk through a few different stories in Scripture pretty quick today. Um, but whoever's the, ho- the leader in the household is the leader spiritually. And last, I think it was last week we talked about how that leader is also the leader mentally and physically and emotionally, right? They should be leading in such a way that their wife um, respects them and loves them, that their children look up to them. And especially when it comes to children, um, there's a heavy and serious responsibility that goes along with that. Um, Because practically, you want your children to grow up to where they're not getting involved in crime, they're not doing drugs, right? And they're not, I mean, I mean, from... Most of us, we just we don't want our kids to be jerks, right? We want them to be good, wonderful kids, right? For those of us that have babies right now or terrible twos, we don't see that option of not doing that right now, but they will, right? Because our kids went through it too. They went through those terrible twos, and uh, we, we don't remember them as much. I love the way God, when you look back, you remember the wonderful stuff, but not the, not the horrible, like crying up all night. There's only one time that I really remember that, and that was because I screamed at my baby because I was like, stop, stop crying. And Lee was like, I'll take the baby now. You know, <laughs> he's like, uh, you are scaring me. So, um, so, so in Acts chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, uh, Paul's going through his missionary journey. One of his missionary journeys, it says, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth on the city of Thyatira. Now, purple cloth is, in dealing with purple cloth, you have to have money. Purple cloth is expensive to make, expensive to buy, expensive to wear. If you wore purple cloth, it was like, what's up? I am somebody, okay? Um, This is why Jesus uh, is sometimes referred to with, with, purple cloth or purple linen or something like that in uh, like Revelation and stuff like that. So uh, we have Lydia here and it says uh, who was a worship was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So so we assume that maybe she's a single mom or because she's got a family and she's it looks like she is the leader of the household and you notice her and her family are all baptized why because the structure was 
to follow the leader of the household. And rightly so. It, it should be, like, be that way. Jump down. If you jump down to verse 29, we looked at this story a, a couple weeks back. Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. There's a big earthquake. Paul, uh, God causes a big earthquake. Their chains fall off. The doors swing wide open. The jailer, uh, the lights go out too. The jailer thinks that everybody has escaped. Okay, so he's about to take his sword out and kill him because the, the rule was if you lose a prisoner, you lose your life. It's pretty much that simple. But Paul, and the, they're still there, and they say, whoa, 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 don't do that. And he literally saves his life. So in verse 29, it says, The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Because he's been listening, you know, hearing them talk and all that, and whatever, whatever. And then they save his life, and they're like, he's like, okay, I give you the benefit of the doubt. You are a good guy. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all the others in, this, in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house to, and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Once again, they believe because they trusted the leader in the house. Now, there's another story in chapter 18. 18, uh, just real quick one, 7 and 8, okay? Verse 7 and 8. Then Paul left the synagogue, went next door to the house of Titius, Justice, a worshiper of God, Crispus, the synagogue ruler, like, leaves the synagogue, goes next door, I love that, and his household, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. So once again, Crispus and his whole family believes, they're baptized, why? Because they follow the leader of the family, and they trust him. This was standard in this day. You did not disobey the leader of your household. Um... There's no force, there's no coercion, it was just, you know, you know, it was just one of those things. You knew you did that. Like back in the 1940s and 50s, they had stuff that was right and they did it and we don't do it anymore. I mean, we just slowly through time, people turn away and turn to sin. Um, they're not doing this out of fear and, and this is why this is so important. Do you, do you recognize the two things that happen in each one of these stories? They're baptized and they believe. They're baptized and they believe. Now, they are not baptizing infants because infants are not believing, right? They're not baptizing babies. Um, and, and, and we see them, all of these people trust in the leader of their family. They all believed in the Lord. Um, this isn't any different than today. Uh, young sons and daughters look to the leader of the family, and they trust and believe them. My sons and daughters look at me, and they completely, I could tell them that the sky was green, and they're just seeing blue, and they would believe me. Like, literally. They'll believe anything because they trust me. Um, and this is important because that's the huge responsibility that we have, right? So... We can be a single mom like Lydia, uh, and we have great responsibility. We can be the father of the house and have great responsibility. Leave has great, they trust her just as much as they trust me, right? Um, but here's the thing, because we live, we do live in a Catholic culture, in a Catholic town, 
Um, the Catholics look at that and say, oh, they baptized everybody, so you can baptize infants. But once again, they believed. They trusted. And so the key word there is believe. And, and here's what we need to understand as, as Christ followers, Protestants, if you will. Until your child can make decisions for themselves, they are under your believing umbrella. They are under your believing umbrella. Um, this is what is commonly called the age of accountability. They believe because they trust you and you told them. Um, so baptism is one of two sacraments that we have. We've got the Lord's Supper and baptism. Um, and baptism is one of those things where in like Ephesians 4, 5, it says that you're baptized one, you know, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Communion, we take at any time. Um, but with baptism, we have to be very careful with it because it is, it is something that is all at the same time solemn and exciting. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's something that we need to, to watch uh, very carefully and know that we know that we know that we believe in Jesus Christ and this is why we're ba being baptized, that we have made this decision. Um, in fact, um, infant baptism was created uh, hundreds of years after Jesus, hundreds of years after the, the New Testament even was completed. Um, it was added in to kind of allay fear, right? Oh, what do we do with this gap that we're not really sure about, right? Um, and we don't really have to worry about that because Romans 10, Romans 10, 9 and 10, we look at this verse quite a bit in our, in our church. It says, if you've confessed with your mouth, Jesus is... Lord and believe in your heart. That word believe is not like here, belief, but it's you live your life out belief. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And then verse 10 kind of qualifies that statement. It says, for it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified. You are made right with God. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So here's the thing. Ideally, we want as parents, to lead our children to Christ. That's, that's what we would want, ideally. But it has to be their choice. And that's the struggle as a parent. You want, you want to, to teach them and show them, but you cannot force them. Um, and this is why in the bar mitzvah in Jewish culture, and the bat mitzvah, I forget what, one's for a girl, one's for a woman, boys, bars for boy and bat is for girls. It seems like it'd be the other way around. The baseball bat, boy, you know. Um, well, it seems right. I mean, come on. Girls can play softball. I'm not saying that. Uh, girls can play baseball. Okay. Uh, whatever. Uh, but anyway, that's, that comes around at like 12 years old. In the Jewish culture, that's when they became a, a man or a woman. But it's also when they were on their own. They may still be living in the house, but they're making their own decisions. With Ty, he's 10, we're starting to see him make his own decisions. Like, he still trusts us and believes everything we say. We haven't hit the teenage years where everything we say is worthless yet, right? But we can see him. He's starting to pick his own clothes, right? Not what I would wear, but okay, fine. Not you. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, Eli, too, even at eight. 
Eli will pick the craziest stuff to wear sometimes. And like, oh, is that what you leaves like? That's what you're wearing? She, he's like, yeah, right. You know, he's so excited. Like, he's got tiger stripe shorts and some kind of plaid going on. You know, he doesn't care. Whatever. And I'm like, just let him do it. Let him make those decisions. Because if he can make those decisions now and know right decisions and wrong decisions, then we pray that what we've taught him in Christ both of them, all three of them, that when they become 12, 13 years old, they'll make wise decisions for Jesus. Um, and like I said, he still trusts us completely, Ty, but you can see him start to, he's choosing between good friends and bad friends now. I really like some of these thugs in my class because they're fun, but they're not doing the right stuff. And so you see that tension in his mind a lot of times. Um, and, and so far he's making the right decisions, but, you know, you're just like praying for him as parents and praying for him and praying for him and praying for him. So um, now let's go back a little bit real quick. Um, Psalm 51.5, throw that up there if you will. Uh, it says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So if we, we know that you can't get into heaven with sin, right? And, we, and if we're sinful at birth, then how does that work out? Well, this verse, if you study this verse and many others like it, it's not saying, oh, boom, you are tainted from the time you were born, right? It's not saying, no go, right? Stop, do not collect $100, $200, right? What it's saying is we are born with a sin nature, right? Just like Adam and Eve, they were born with a sin nature. It's called free will. If you have free will, you have the opportunity to sin. And God gave them that opportunity and said, well, you got the, you know, the shiny fruit? Don't eat, about, don't eat from it. It's probably a fig. We always look at it as an apple. Don't eat that. What do they do? Oh, shiny, you know. <laughs> they go eat it. That's what we are born with as well. So, so we, look at, we look at that and say, okay, okay, that's, that's an infant. That's a baby, okay, okay. Um, David, when he lost his, his one-week-old infant, he, he recognizes, he says, I know that I will be with you. He says, uh, I will go, go ahead and throw that up there. I will go to him, but he will, um, but he will not return to me. He knows he will go to him, okay? And so he is with going to be with God. We know that with David. But what about for somebody that's older, um, you know, somebody, uh, an older kid, maybe Sage's age, six, six years old, uh, because sin starts early, right? I mean, uh, Tiffany, terrible tooth, right? I mean, it, it's, it starts early. The first, I can't remember the first time they told me no, but it was early. Hey, Ty, don't do that. No, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's like, what? Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's no in his face, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know I'm doing something wrong, and I'm going to keep doing it because, uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. We, yeah, that's, that's exactly, it starts early. And here's the thing. Um, how, does, how does that work out? If they've got sin, but they can't make up, you know, they can't make a decision for themselves, how's that? Matthew chapter 19, throw that, throw that up there, verse 13. This is Jesus is, is talking to his disciples, and then the little children were brought to Jesus. They're sitting out on a, on a hillside, 
They're brought to Jesus for him to place his hands and pray uh, for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And, and this is the exact opposite of what should have happened. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So the kingdom of heaven is actually going to be run by those who have this deep-seated trust, right? Um, and it very well could be run by our children, right? Or maybe us when we were children. I don't know how it works out. I don't know how heaven works out. Um, but it's because they trust. That's the big deal here. They trust their parents. They trust Jesus. Um, and so whatever you tell them, they're going to believe. Whether it's good or bad, right or wrong, true or false, okay? Um, and, and it's so important that we understand this because Jesus says, and, and even, if we, even if, we, if we don't have children, right? We've got a lot of people that don't have children. What we teach, what you teach my kids and share with my kids is really important. Here's why. Matthew 17, 2. If you teach someone who trusts you something wrong, especially spiritually, it's better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around your neck. Right? Basically, Jesus is saying, hell is not a good enough place for these people. I mean, this is just... Uh, there's, I, I mean, I can think of a, a thousand ways to die, and that just seems like one of the worst, you know? I mean, just struggling to, to try to get back, and you can't, oh, uh, 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 that's, that's like mob killing right there, right? Bad. The reason is they trust who leads them. And so when they come of age to make the decisions on their own, you just got to hope that the investment you've placed in them and... I hope that the investment that, that you guys place in my kids and I place in your kids um, will continue on. Um, but if we don't teach our kids about Jesus, what's going to, and I'm not talking about we read a Bible story to them at night or we pray, you know, at, the, at dinner or whatever. I'm talking about everything we do. We try to find some kind of a, of a lesson to kind of bring them back to Jesus. Because if we don't, when they become of age, 12, 13 years old, they're going to find something more logical, something more physical and tangible, right? Because, you know, along with this age of accountability also comes puberty, right? <laughs> and oh my gosh, people start bad stuff early, right? They're going to try to find something more instantaneous, They'll place their trust in that. We have such a limited window to teach our kids. We think, oh, it's 18 when they get out of the house. Oh, no, they're done. 12, they are on their own. They may live with you. They may take your food. They're making decisions on their own. I can't tell you how many things that I did as a teenager that I would never, ever want my kids to do. I snuck out almost every single night of my, my 16 and 17-year-old years. I mean, half the time I was, I was just to sneak out and get away with it, you know? I mean, it was, we have an alarm on our house for that very reason, right? So, I know firsthand experience that they're going to kind of run and, and, and get away. 
um, unless we teach them differently. Y'all know the story of the Ethiopian eunuch? I'm going to end with this. Acts 8, Acts 8, 35, um, 30 through 38, the Ethiopian. Philip is um, walking down a street, basically, this guy named Philip, and then he is transported, like beam me up Scotty transported. I kid you not, I am so excited that this is real technology, and it can happen, and maybe one day we'll figure it out. I mean, God did it, but he did it somehow. Maybe we'll figure it out, maybe not. Um, but he, Philip is transported, and, he, and he's walking along this chariot that's being pulled by this Ethiopian eunuch. We won't go into what all that entails, but it's not a good thing. And so he's hearing this guy read Scripture, and he's reading Isaiah, and he's reading a story of, of foreshadowing of Jesus. And so this is the perfect story to illustrate salvation and baptism. Um, in in uh, eight chapter, uh, in eight verse thirty-five, it says, "As they traveled along the road, they came." Um, no, 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 thirty-five, thirty-five. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture that he was reading, because he invited him into the chariot and he told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized them. This is a perfect story of somebody who believes in Christ and then is baptized. He believes and trusts God, and then he's baptized. He believes, not because he's forced to, and then he gives a public declaration to his entourage of what he has believed. He gets out of his chariot, and he goes, and he's baptized. This is why baptism is so amazing to me, because it's a, you know, death, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Um, and so this is why we believe in baptism, because this is, we're talking about both baptism and the age of accountability, but it's why we believe in baptism, but it's also why we believe in this age of accountability, that one day they're going to have to make up their own mind, but until that day comes, our believing umbrella does cover them, if you will, um, and, and that's something we really need to know in our culture in our city, because you will bump up against that on uh, many occasions. It's not something you want to get into an argument about, obviously, we know that, but it's something we need to know, so uh, I did want to share that instead of writing a, a second message. It wasn't because I was lazy, I promise you that. I, I was, uh, was going to do next week's uh, message today, but I, I decided it's good for us to hear. So uh, let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that... Um, Belief must come, it must come out of our hearts. And Father, we ask and we pray that you will help those who have not placed their trust in you to do so. We pray for our children. We pray that what we teach them and how you teach them and Holy Spirit, how you work in them, will lead to their salvation when they begin to make decisions of their own. We pray that for the, for the babies. <coughs> We pray that for the oldest children that we have. We pray that we will see the fruits of, of our teaching as they make wise decisions and follow you. And Father, I pray for each one of us here, for those who are not here, 
that we would be able to teach our, our young ones in our church how great you are and that it would be normal to them so that when they go to college, when they go into the business world, that they are not swayed, that they know the truth and that they know where they can find the answers. And so, Father, this is our prayer for them, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.